In the following live session recording, Kimberly B. Moore, CEO and owner of Moore Tax, LLC, Bloomingdale, Georgia, discusses best practices, receipt, and protection of church contributions, part one. In this class, the listener will learn some basic practices when receiving and protecting contributions given to the church, ensuring funds received are accounted for and are deposited intact and whole. Part one focuses on contribution receipts, while part two will focus on protection of the church in dealing with contributions. Let's join Kimberly now. Like Tony said, I'm an enrolled agent. I don't know if you know what that is. An enrolled agent is a federally licensed tax professional. Okay, so we are we are licensed by the Internal Revenue Service, Department of Treasury. Okay, we don't work for them, but we're licensed by them. So, like a CPA, will have to be licensed as a tax professional in each state. An enrolled agent does not. An enrolled agent can work all over the United States. Okay, um, I am also a certified fraud examiner and a certified forensic interviewer. Um, I primarily work in tax resolution, IRS representation, government representation, um, fraud examinations. I do tax returns. Um, the IRS has this wonderful uh, online access for tax professionals if you provide 10 or more if you e-file 10 or more tax returns. So I'm able to actually go online with the IRS and research everything and see everything that the IRS knows about a particular client when I do IRS representation. So I can see what the IRS sees and what the taxpayer says. <coughs> um, I specialize in nonprofit organizations. Tax returns, internal controls, setup, cleanup. Unfortunately, there's a lot of cleanup in a lot of places. Um, a lot of people prefer to try to do it on their own and then, uh-oh, I've screwed something up and now who do I get to clean it up? I don't know what's gone wrong. So I do clean up. Um, the certified forensic interviewer, that helps me tremendously when I'm doing the fraud examinations because part of fraud examinations is actually interviewing people. And to, it teaches you body language, um, demeanor, understanding when people are lying. If, if they say yes and their head is doing this while they're saying yes, guess what the answer is? No. <laughs> so it's pretty interesting. Um, I do consider this a ministry. I started out because I became treasurer of my church and found a 17-year fraud that happened. So that's what got me into fraud and doing fraud investigations. I like to deter fraud ahead of time. I don't like finding the fraud. I like to prevent the fraud. Okay? Everybody has temptations. Everybody and we all have financial difficulties at some time in our life and with financial difficulties creates temptation and when you have temptation and you add opportunity to take that's not love a church is not showing love when they allow the temptation to take root okay so that's what i like to do i like to prevent it I like to show the love and hold, holding people accountable is showing love. And that's what I prefer. If they don't have so much weight on them, I've got to do all of this all by myself. It's best to spread out the duties because the more teamwork you have, the less issues that will go out, the less chance of temptation. Will it prevent it all? No, but it should prevent 90% of it. Okay, so what we're going to go over is the receipt and protection of church contributions. Um, let me go ahead and tell you from the beginning, um, this is what I recommend. This is best practices. Um, if you, everybody has different situations in their church, what works and what doesn't work. 
Um, but this is best practices, okay? It doesn't mean that if you don't do this that it's illegal. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying these are best practices and this is what's recommended. Okay, the importance of accounting for contributions. Donors contribution record for the end of the year reporting, okay? That is very important because although it states that a church is not required to give out annual statements, you know, just a blanket of them, you, 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 most churches will say, if you request it, I'll give it to you at the end of the year. I think it's wise and best practice that they distribute that every year regardless to everybody that donated, regardless of how much once a year it gets distributed. Anything over $100 should be distributed. That's combined total for the entire year. What this does is, it, like number two, it makes the donor feel warm and comfortable, especially if it's accurate, Okay, that's the key point, it's that it's accurate. It makes them feel good about the people that they have chosen and that they voted for to be handling their finances at the church. And the more you have confidence in church finances, the better off your church is going to be. Okay, that number one problem in marriages is money. Why would a church be any different? Okay. Church financial reporting and compliance with IRS rules and regulations, 501c3, including, including the guidelines for designated or restricted funds. The IRS has very specific rules with designated funds, very specific. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit further as we go. Fiduciary responsibility. The IRS and courts can hold financial leaders, chairman of the deacons, and the pastor responsible for any inactivity. Sorry. <laughs> that angle was not real good for that. Um, they have even been known if payroll taxes haven't been paid, trust funds, they have been known to go to the people who are responsible and file trust fund charge them with the actual tax for that, okay? Because they want to get their money. I mean, this is trust fund money. It's not like, well, we, we choose not to pay yet. It's not like a regular tax to where you, you know, you can set up a payment plan and say, oh, well, you know, I didn't do it and get just a little bit of penalties. They're very strict on this, and they come down hard. Risk management and fraud deterrence. I think we just went over that. Okay, the standards. Accounting for contributions, just receiving them. Counting contributions, funds, and when. <coughs> Depositing, these are the things that we're going to go over. Depositing all funds intact. And we'll go into that deeper. Posting contributions inside financial software timely and accurately. And then oversight and accountability. Even though oversight and accountability is the last one on the list, it is the most important one. Okay, counting committees and groups. I recommend at least four to six people on two different um, counting groups. So that you have, so if you have six people in your, your counting committees, three can do it one week, three can do it the next week, and then just keep rotating back and forth. By doing this, um, you have people that are not inside the financial decision-making process in any of the areas. They can't write checks. They don't. They're not the treasurer. Of course, the treasurer can oversee it. They can go in there and with the counters or whatever, perfectly fine. But they're not responsible for it. The counters would have a counting sheet, and the counting sheet should have each counter's name at the bottom and they should count cash and make it very clear what is cash and what is checks. Okay, this is best practices. In that, they should also prepare the deposit slip. Okay, 
So they prepared the deposit slip, counting all the money, making copies of every check that is included in that. Okay? The reason for the checks is so that the treasurer or the financial secretary can post those contributions. Okay? And it's, it's backup support to prove they gave this and we didn't post it inaccurately. Okay? And any envelopes, envelopes that have cash in it that says general fund or who it's with or whatever, who gave it, you need to copy that envelope. That's part of, and then the envelope can be trashed. It doesn't matter as long as you have a copy of it. Okay? The check itself is a legal document. So anything on that check takes precedence over anything else. So if the check says general tithe and the envelope says designated fund, guess who trumps what? The check. The check trumps it. Okay? The envelope is not a legal document. Okay? So it cannot be upheld in court unless it was cash in the envelope. Okay? Because it's illegal to copy cash in whole. You can fold it in half or whatever, perfectly fine. I have in the past copied all of my cash in a fan so that no one, one bill is fully copied. Okay? So you fan it out and you have all the denominations so that it can be counted. I like to cover myself, my assets. CYA, cover my assets in every way, including cash. Okay? Um, listing the, a lot of people will put their, in their, their check, they will divide it up into tithes, um, Annie Armstrong, Lottie Moon, divide it out like that. Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon are designated funds, okay? So those have to be separated. I highly recommend and you'll see in my second class at 1.30 uh, more detail about the designated funds, but I prefer that you have two bank accounts, one for designated funds and one for general. It is not illegal to have your designated funds in your operating account, general funds, but let me tell you, it is super easy to make a simple mistake, not taking funds, not misappropriating or anything intentionally, but it's too easy to accidentally misappropriate funds of designated funds when you have it all in the operating account. And that can be criminal. Mm -hmm. The IRS could file charges against you, could penalize you. Um, anybody inside the church could file suit against you for mishandling church funds. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, at the bottom of the counting sheet, where the names are for the counting, of course, everything should have a date on there, okay? That should be a given. But the counters should initial at the bare minimum that they counted by their name, okay? And um, some churches I've gone to and done fraud examinations with, they will actually, I don't know how they think this is a good idea, but they wouldn't even count right after they collected. They would just take all the money, put it in the safe, leave it there for the financial secretary on Monday morning to come into the safe, pick it up, count it with another counter, and make the deposit slip and deposit it. <clears throat> okay, no. Okay, that's just, to me, that's just illogical. As soon as the money is collected, it should be counted. Then that counting should go to the bank that day. Okay? All banks have night deposit. Take it by the night deposit on Sunday night, okay? 
question. Certainly. If you've got two services on a Sunday, uh -huh. you, you still recommend counting after morning and then counting after evening? One hundred percent. As soon as it is collected, it is too easy for cash to go walking away. It leaves opportunity for temptation. We want to prevent the opportunity. Everything should be counted as soon it is as soon as it is collected. And make sure you put so much in cash, so much in checks. That is highly important too, especially as a fraud examiner. When I come in to look, um, I've had several fraud investigations this year alone for churches. One I'm going through right now, four hundred and fifty dollars every single month for three years where it's taken, okay? Because nobody put this amount for cash, this amount for this, okay? It was posted in the general ledger that the $450 was received, but then on the bank deposit thing, even if somebody else created the bank deposit, the cash was marked out, a new number was put there, and her initials were put saying, I approve this. So, it's too easy for cash to go flying. Um, we went through that. And the key thing is if you don't, if you don't count it when it's collected, you don't really know. So if it puts doubt <coughs> in your mind, it, that means if you have any doubt or any possible chance of doubt, Opportunity is there. And this is the fraud triangle. And um, this, I've never seen this not accurate. Okay? Every single case this happens. Um, pressure. Anybody that feels like, and pressure doesn't mean it's real. It's, everything is perceived. Okay? So let's say their child this child is going to a private school where their finances aren't really up to par and they're feeling pressure on, I can't let my child know, I can't let, you know, I've got to keep up appearances, you know, I don't want to be looked on, I don't want my child to be upset with me because we don't have the money to send them to private school, that type of thing, that's pressure, okay? Um, somebody looking down on you, that's pressure. Okay, anything perceived as pressure. Opportunity. Anytime you don't have controls in place, practice controls, not necessarily. I definitely advise that everything be written, but if you don't practice what's written, it's, it doesn't matter. The opportunity, any opportunity whatsoever, if they see it, the way fraud works is people take a little bit this time. And they say, oh, I'll pay it back. That's rationalization. Okay? I deserve this. I haven't had a raise in 20 years. That type of thing. I'll pay it back. It's just a loan. And then they forget to pay it back. And then, well, nobody noticed. Nobody said anything. So then it, get, it happens again. And then it just keeps happening. If that opportunity is never shut off, then it will keep happening and it will grow. So what was $2,000 this year, next year may be $20,000. And the next year may be $120,000. Oh, we trust her. Trust in God, verify everything else. Okay, depositing all funds intact. This is where a lot of people, a lot of churches, I even saw it this past week, <coughs> excuse me, with my own church. Somebody came to my husband um, Wednesday night, collected money for Wednesday night service, I mean for Wednesday night supper before Wednesday night classes, and they said, well, you know, we collected $150 for Wednesday night. It cost $123.69. Can I take the cash from the $129? And I'm walking by, and it looked like they were thinking about it. I said, no, you have to submit a request for a check. 
And I shouldn't have said that, but it was it was bothering me. You shouldn't have to think about this. No. Because how are you really going to... And my husband kind of looked at me. I said, no. <laughs> you know? No, she can't just take it. I don't care if you've got a receipt. No. Because how are you going to know what your patterns are for collecting money if you don't collect it all? Yeah, it's just a journal entry. Yeah, you let it go once. Then it, you let it go a second time. And then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you have a Boston butt sale that you get $6,000 worth of contributions, right? Buying those. Well, I spent $3,000 on the butts. Well, can I just take $3,000 from the cash? Oh, now you're getting really big, right? No, you can't do that. You got to have reimbursements, okay? I should have read the thing first and let you answer instead of me answering for you. Sorry. You turn in the total amount of the contributions. You submit a request to be reimbursed for that receipt, and you always provide the receipt. Even though a church is not considered in congregation's mind as a business, in IRS eyes, you are a business, and you are for-profit for a religious purpose, which makes you non-profit, okay? So you have to keep receipts for everything. You could lose your your nonprofit status if you don't have this, and they were to decide to do an audit. On that. Posting contributions inside financial software timely. What what is timely? Immediately, as soon as possible. What if it's not possible for three weeks? Oh, it's your job and it's your ministry, so you do, do it right away. So what's reasonable? As soon as you can get to the computer and do it. Right after church. <laughs> That's what I mean by as soon as possible. And see, people would say, well, I can't get to my computer for a month. Then you don't need that job. This is my best practice. Within three business days of collection, you may collect it on Friday. You've got a mission going on. You've got a, 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 a butt sale going on or whatever. You've counted it. You've deposited it. That's the key thing. That's protecting the funds is by depositing it. Within three business days of collection, it should be posted. I hear this all the time. We don't have a problem. And we don't need to ask any questions. How many people in here are Baptist churches? Everybody's Baptist. Hmm. Baptists are the worst at it. I used to be Baptist. I grew up Helen Brimstone Baptist. It is the worst. You do not ask questions about money in a Baptist church. Especially Helen Brimstone. You were like. Anybody who doesn't want to answer a question, who gets upset, who feels offended and shows it and expresses it, question it. You need to really question it. You do not need to back away from it. Because I guarantee you something's not right. Doesn't mean it's illegal. Doesn't mean it's intentional. Because people, I have seen that people who don't really know what they're doing and they're trying really hard and those who are intentionally stealing, the demeanor is the same. The attitude is the same. They're scared of their own, they, they don't have good self-esteem, okay? So you have, but the thing is, you question it, 
because you need to determine which one it is. Doesn't mean be mean about it. It just means continue. And don't don't settle for an explanation. You want to see it in writing from a third party. You need to see the general ledger printout or you need to see a bank statement or you need to see a loan statement. You do not need to just take an excuse. Okay? Oversight and accountability, internal controls. This is really, really good. This, was, this right here is what I took straight from the IRS website. Okay? Example, restrictions are for um, restricted funds, designated funds, are usually permanent. 99% of the time is permanent. And permanent means until the funds have been used. Okay? Once money is restricted, that restriction is permanent. The funds cannot be redirected to other purposes. I actually have a um, fraud investigation that I'm doing right now. Um, the pastor and the financial secretary decided together to borrow money from designated funds into the general account to pay for an air conditioner and then they would pay it back as the funds were collected. Is that okay or is it not? First of all, the pastor should have absolutely no say whatsoever in anything financial. A pastor is there to lead, not to control. There's a big difference. The treasurer is responsible financially for everything that the church approved in the budget. Anything outside that budget, the treasurer must get approval from the church. Okay? Let me ask you a question real quick. Uh -huh. like, you have a designated fund for building mm -hmm. stuff. You have an air conditioner go out, and there is no money in the general fund to cover that air conditioner. You can't go to that and put. Absolutely, you can. It's a building fund. Okay. So I'm a little confused what you're saying here. They didn't say that they were paying for it from the building fund. They just took it out of some, some designated... They, oh, oh, they, they stated they oh. borrowed it from the designated bank account without stipulating that we're it's taking... The, the exactly. Gotcha. Gotcha. That is completely wrong, okay. illegal. Gotcha. Because the designated fund bank account should be... It's the easiest. Instead of having a bank account for every designated fund, you have one bank account for designated funds, and then you have all the different funds underneath it. To be, to be an acceptable designated fund, that designated fund must be approved by the church prior to receiving money. So somebody can't, um, Mr. Lee here can't give money to uh, Jones Street property if it's not already a pre-approved designated fund. Okay? Gotcha, gotcha. Sorry, I'm talking so much. And here's the thing. Um, just like with the scholarship fund, there's $50,000 in the bank. They don't have enough money to pay the bills, so they're going to borrow from it. No, you can't do that. Severe penalties, even loss from exempts. This is strictly from the IRS. The boards, which is the chairman, the deacon board, the finance committee, the pastor, can be sued by donors for misuse of the funds. Okay? I've actually had um, also this same church decided to remove money from just dissolve a designated fund and put it in the operating account. You can't do that. Um, the only way that you can, there's two ways. The IRS says there's only one way, but there's actually two ways to legally move money from a designated fund into the general account. 
One is getting the approval by the donor. And I recommend it always be written. Because if it wasn't written, it didn't happen. Okay? That's just given these days. You can do it that way. There's also another way. Because a lot of times people will die or or with no relatives or whatever, or it may be 30 years down the road and you still got $20,000 in that designated fund. You can actually go to, I believe it's the um, Inspector General, and actually request approval to move that money. But that's the other way. But that's through legal means. If the donor dies, it goes, you can request it from their heirs. <coughs> Permission. Or. Finance committee and treasurer's responsibilities. Monthly. <laughs> and I put diligently practicing. That means I'm trying to put great emphasis on this because... Um, you can have these policy and procedures, but if you don't follow them, they're no good. I would rather you not have policy and procedures written and be practicing every single thing by the book. But the church needs you to have it in writing so that it protects the church legally. Bank statement reconciliation. Every single fraud investigation I've done, the bank statement has never been even looked at by anybody but the financial secretary. Even the ones where I didn't find fraud. That's not good. Bank statement review. The finance committee should be reviewing on a monthly basis the bank statement itself. Okay? All deposits I mean, everything in that bank statement, that includes the canceled checks and looking at the back, the endorsements on the back of those checks. The way banks work, if there's not an endorsement on the back of that check, you can go to the bank and request them to recredit your account for that amount until they get proper endorsement on the back of that check. Okay? If you don't do that within the month of the bank statement, before the next bank statement rolls around, it becomes your liability. So if I wrote you a check and you didn't get the check, you say you didn't get the check, but it cleared the bank and there's no endorsement on the back, the church is still responsible to pay you again because they didn't fulfill their duties to make sure you received it. Okay? And the church would then, at, when that bank statement came in and it's cleared, if they turned and put the responsibility back on the bank, then they're not out of money. If the bank doesn't get that endorsement and make sure that you got the check, then they eat that amount. Does that make sense? Um, the disbursements and the postings, contribution postings, those should be re reviewed monthly with the bank statement. So that, and not just a handwritten thing or a spreadsheet. If you're using a computerized um, financial software, it should be printed straight from there. Okay? And most all financial software will have a date up at the top and a time of when that was printed. Okay? That's a good way to check it. ACS does. ACS is pretty good. I've got some major problems with ACS, but I can explain that later in the 130. Okay? The 130 one kind of goes along with that. Um, and 130 will also, I have an example of where the bank statement deposit should match the contribution. It should match. Sorry. If it doesn't, in 130, I have an example where it's way off. So you're, you're saying the finance committee should then also review this, not just the treasurer, there should be the finance Absolutely, committee. 100%.
And most finance committee people, they're not really accounting people, and they're not really interested in it, but they're there. They can make decisions, right? But the chairman, it needs to be available for them to review it. And the chairman of the finance committee needs to sign off that he reviewed it or she reviewed it. I, I prefer initialing everything. Um, my husband retired. I think the question would be like the bank statement reconciliation to me for the whole committee to sit and, and work through the reconciliation of outstanding checks you know, and, and try as a group to look at that versus one individual that's going check, check, check. Here's the one still outstanding. Mm -hmm. That's if you're not using financial software, um, which I highly recommend financial software because it is too easy for people with manual um, records to, to falsify. It's too easy. Financial software... Even QuickBooks, QuickBooks Online, um, QuickBooks Desktop, and QuickBooks Online, both, they have what is called a log, an activity log. And uh, I can go back and look and see when it was created, what day, what time. I can see how many different times it's been changed, which is awesome because that will tell you intent. Um, was it an error? Were they second-guessing themselves? It'll tell you all of that just by how many times somebody touches something and when they touched it. That's the key. So if they're getting a lot of pressure from somebody to answer a question and they're not sure, you know, the financial secretary, she's going to go change it several times. And you can see when that pressure happens. So it's, it's very telling. Um, and, and anything that doesn't, anything that the financial committee doesn't understand, they need to ask questions and they need to get it satisfied, clarity. And if the same problem arises more than two or three months, there's an issue and you need to get, dive a lot deeper. Okay? Because most issues don't last, don't reoccur. They don't. Oh my, really? Yeah. Okay, questions? Any questions? There, um, I've, I've noticed there was a fad, I call it a fad, it really wasn't a fad, it was a recommendation by many professionals of having two signatures on a check, requiring two signatures on a check. I never agreed with that because unfortunately it's too easy to, um, most churches don't have enough people to serve. So to do the two signatures correctly, it would be two signatures, one is the treasurer and then one is someone else that doesn't have any normal financial duties, right? So that would be good security. Um, but since most churches don't have enough people to serve, that second signature is the financial secretary. And if the financial secretary is the one Depositing the money, posting the contributions, writing the checks, paying the bills. And she signs checks. That doesn't seem logical, does it? And a bank does not care that there's two signatures or not. They do not care. One signature is the only one that most banks care about. And I've even seen on many occasions a check clear with no signature. Okay? And it's your responsibility as a church to check that on a monthly basis. And if it doesn't have a signature, you need to send that back to the bank and, because unless they're called on it, they're not going to fix their issue. You know, Internal controls are big. Internal controls include segregation of duties. 
The person collecting the money should not be the person posting the deposits. The people posting the deposits and collecting money should not also be the one writing the checks and paying the bills. And absolutely not have signing authority. Because by having signing authority on the check, they have authority to do anything for the church at the bank, period. And the financial secretary or the church secretary is not the corporation's secretary. People get that confused as well. With the secretary of state and stuff, normally this church secretary in the sense of corporation church secretary is the one taking the minutes in the, in the business meeting minutes. Okay? So the church secretary is the one that's supposed to sign the bank legal authority for approving the fact that these signers are the ones that are assigned by the church, not the financial church secretary. Does that make sense? Repeat that again. You're yes, saying again. you're saying the church clerk secretary on the incorporation papers is the one that does it for the signers at the bank. Mm-hmm. Well, you have what, an agreement with the bank where it's an actual signature card. Mm-hmm. And so each one of the ones signs, and then it says at the bottom, secretary. And the secretary approves. They have the major authority in saying, yes, these are the signers based on the business reports. Okay. It's not the secretary that's doing the physical secretarial work at the church on a daily basis. About three or four years ago, the, the bank said they were not checking signatures anymore to match them with the legal signature cards. And so the church... Handwriting. Mm-hmm. Church stopped doing signature cards. No. Yes, it did. They, our, the church I'm at, they stopped doing signature cards about three years ago for the I, new signers. I saw them all day long. Now. I haven't... I haven't. What bank? South State. No, South State, you have to do a new signature card. They're not checking the signatures. Well, I understand why they wouldn't check the signatures. I understand that. But there's a legal requirement with them as a bank to have new signature cards and approvals. The name, social security number, and the signers. Absolutely. That is that is not correct. Yeah, they may not be able to, to tell whether my chicken scratch has been forged, but that chicken scratch should, correct. should be the person, only these five people or these three people. Correct. They need Absolutely, that's that's requirement by federal need, law. Signers need to do it, federal law. Thank you. I just like the word You said need to have a new signature card. Is that just when you add somebody or... Mm-hmm. Okay. Add somebody so and, what we and remove somebody. It doesn't change. Then it's not. not it just stays. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. It doesn't. You don't have to renew it every yeah. year. Okay. But as I understand, you say that anybody on the financial committee is not signing the checks. No, as long as they can, they go to the bank and do it. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm saying, like she makes out checks every week for paying bills. And we, we require two signatures, and usually when somebody from the finance committee comes in, they're one of the signatures. And then sometimes it may be two That's of fine. Sometimes it could be somebody else in the church that signs. That's fine, That's but they're okay. not they're not in daily activity with the no. accounts payable no, no, contributions. No, no, no. That's what I'm talking about, okay. the daily activities. Gotcha. The daily activities. So if she's preparing the checks and posting the deposits, she should not be a signer on the account. But she needs to be authorized at the bank to be able to view transactions and get information. Every bank has what is called an accountant's, the capability of an accountant's login to where they can go in, look at everything, and not actually have any transactional authority. Which that's the way it should be. Questions. What time is it? 10 30. 30? 11.30. 11.30. Okay, we got 30 more minutes. So we can go in a little I got through quicker than you did. Like I said, I talked about tax updates. The first time or the second session? The first. Oh.
So, okay, let's get into... Okay. Okay, they're depositing all funds intact and whole. I recommend that your Sunday deposits... Um, I know it may cost a little extra money for deposit slips, but it's well worth it. Your, for each type of collection of funds, should have a different deposit slip. So if you, I need to talk about designated too when it's combined with contributions. So Sunday, Sunday contributions, Sunday morning, you'd have a deposit slip. Every time you count, there's a deposit slip. If you have money left over from um, Wednesday night supper to deposit, somebody forgot to deposit it, don't just add it to your Sunday morning deposit. I recommend it be a totally separate deposit and a good explanation of why it was different. Um, Wednesday night should be on its own. It should be deposited immediately. Um, like we have Wednesday night suppers. Um, if the general... Yeah, combined deposits. Um, like I said, I didn't. I guess I didn't finish my statement earlier. Somebody will give a contribution and they'll divide it out. General ties, um, uh, building fund, Wadi Moon, whatever the case may be. Um, what I have recommended in the past, because you should have two bank bank accounts, one for designated, one for general, is you deposit it all in general. And you have on the on the accounting, the bookkeeping side, an account, uh, a separate thing that says funds that are to be transferred to designated. So you would deposit that entire amount posting the, the tithes to tithes, and then you would post building fund and Lottie Moon. And then the building fund and Lottie Moon would be immediately transferred after the deposit to designated funds and properly posted. So on your balance sheet, designated funds should always balance to your bank account balance and designated funds. Many years back, I'm not going to go back, but they were combined. Mm -hmm. When I started, we had designated checking and transferring from the, the general to the designated, like we used to say. But that stopped a few years back. This person wanted it all together. It was easier for him to read it. So we need to go back to two different accounts. Well, I, I didn't quite understand. In the bank, it can be in the same, if I understood, bank account, but you should immediately in the software I don't recommend that um, you only have one account where designated and general go together. It's okay for it to all go into general from one check like that. Say people give a combination on that one check and then immediately as soon as possible within three business days of collection be transferred over to the designated bank account. Because like I said, when you have it all in the general account, it is so easy to accidentally misappropriate funds. And whether it's accidental or intentional, it's misappropriation of funds. Okay? And the IRS doesn't look kindly on even accidental misappropriation. Okay, it's sort of like a, um, an attorney's trust account. You can't, in an attorney's trust account, you have all these clients that have balances. At no time can any of those clients' balance go be in the negative, ever. You can't borrow from one, well, there's enough money in the bank account for this, but in his allotted amount, it's $500 in the hole. That can't happen. Same thing with designated funds. Exact same thing. You can't pay, let's say, something. Well, it belongs in building. Building funds should be paying for it. We've got $50,000 in that designated account. 
and the, the item may be $10,000, but you only have 5000 in the building fund, you can't pay $10,000 out of that building fund. You can pay 5000 out of it and then take 5000 out of general. You see what I mean? One, I mean, she's talking about best practice versus legal. I mean, you legally could have it in the bank account, but because of best practice, a lot of our churches don't have the accounting expertise on staff or, the, or somebody on full-time. And so, so uh, when we talked about the preparation, we were talking about a lot of our churches discipline-wise, if it's in that same account, they're going to make mistakes. Not necessarily yours, but you know what I'm saying. If you if accidentally, the person that's doing it is not usually an accountant. It's usually a secretary or somebody that knows how to balance a checkbook. <laughs> I mean, that's how the treasurers are chosen. Can you balance a checkbook? Well, yeah, let's, let's recommend them. So that's why the recommendation is the best practice, and it's still a good practice even if you had an accountant. But the the reason she and I talk about is that um, most of our churches, I have. There are 3,600 churches. I have about a thousand that don't even use software. They're just, they're just, well, they don't say software. They, they use Excel spreadsheets to keep up with it. And, it, and literally, you're going to make a mistake at some point. There's enough in the account. Let's pay this bill. And then if you misappropriate funds and it comes back on you, it's, it's far worse than, than just, just, oh, I borrowed it. <laughs> if I had it in one account and I had, and I'm running close and I write a large check. I mean, in my general fund, and I'm sitting there thinking, well, there'll be a deposit tomorrow. If somebody audited me that day, then I would I would have misappropriated those funds. That's considered an accidental misappropriation, yeah. So there'd be a reason not to keep it. Absolutely, 100%. That, that would prevent that, because I'd say, I can't write the check today because I don't have it. Um, I've actually had... had churches that refuse to keep two accounts. They, they want everything in one account. And the rule is, the IRS rule is, that if you have, if your designated funds that you keep up with is supposed to be $20,000, then your general account cannot go below ever, ever, the amount of those designated funds because of the fact that you have to maintain immediate cash availability for those designated funds. And it's so easy, so easy to misuse. I've had 30-year bookkeepers. I mean, they've been doing bookkeeping for 30 years and they get into a habit of being lazy with one particular thing and they've misappropriated funds. Because of that, it's just an accident. So if you had, I mean, forgive me, I'm kind of thick-headed, so I'll make sure I understand this. Uh -huh. I had $500,000 in uh, designated funds. We have a million dollars in the whole account, and I have to write a check for $501,000. I have now broke the law. Law because The I IRS rules misappropriated funds. Say on Sunday you had to write that check. Tuesday you made a deposit. Still misappropriated funds. But if you've got a million dollars in an account, you should have four accounts. Because, you know, you're supposed to be... You, I also see churches do this a lot, too. They put, they put their designated funds say they've got $350,000 in a designated fund that is just a regular checking account and it's not gaining any interest. Does that make sense? No. You've got $550,000 in your operating account. Your budget is $240,000 a year. Is it wise to keep that $500,000 in a general checking account? See, that's what we do. We have three separate accounts. We have a day school ministry that's completely separate. And then we have what we call two general fund accounts, one being an interest-bearing account. No operational monies come out of it. It's just slick. And so sometimes in our general operating fund, we have 
we always maintain at least three months operational expense in that account. And if that account begins to build to a certain level, then we'll take and move some of that money out of the general fund one to the interest bearing fund two. So. Savings account. Mm -hmm. It's wise, but you don't have a designated fund account? We have, uh, we have a, but now we don't have separate accounts other than the day school ministry, but we have one account that would consist of the general fund uh, expense building fund, uh, which is basically an inactive account at this point. It's still, we're receiving, but we're not, no expense going out, and, uh, and then our missions account. So they're all in that one account, but they're all designated and accounted for separately in our software. So. And I know what you're saying. Ideally, you for you it's super easy for out. them to accidentally. But uh, but anyway, that's the way we're set up. Well, at least you're covering your assets and having that second general account out there where there's no activity in it. You just so hopefully that's enough to cover your designated to make sure that you have the cash flow for it. That's good. You must have an accountant on, on the payroll. No. no. Hmm. Scary. Good luck. <laughs> Watch it closely. Mm -hmm. We do. <laughs> That's good. That's good. So, do you have a finance committee and yes. counting groups, I'm, I'm counting the, committees? I'm the, I'm the finance chairman, and uh, and we have what we call counting teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. Uh, are counting each day that they each time that they do it. It consists of four people. A team is two people, but there's always four, and there's never the the team of two and two never count two weeks consecutively. They good. Consistently rotate. That's good. That's so it. You should never have the same recommend. four people. You'll have you know different people every time they count. Oh, and there was something else I didn't state. It's best that nobody in finance that has any handling with finance should be immediately related to anybody else in finance. Okay, so um, the chairman of the finance committee, his wife shouldn't be the church clerk. Okay? Um... A husband is chairman of the deacons. His wife shouldn't be treasurer. You know what I mean? There's some conflict of interest there. I see it a lot. I know churches, small town churches, everybody's related to everybody. I understand that. but um, And can't be gambling buddies. Just Let's just put that out there. <laughs> Sorry, but you, the gambling buddies should not be counters on Sunday morning. Y'all think it's funny, but it's happened. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't a Baptist shirt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> uh, uh, here's... <laughs> That goes to the joke that we like to tell that we have a strong Lutheran presence in our area, and we we tell you know you, you know the difference between a Lutheran and a Baptist, and a Lutheran will speak to you when he sees you in the package shop. <laughs> My husband used to make that joke about Catholics. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question: Should anyone on the finance committee, um, especially if it's the treasurer, be a member of the personnel committee because? In my church, I've, had, I've heard rumors, I've heard stories about people um, looking for raises. And, and um, I, you know. Here's, a, here's another thing, too. Um, I'll, I'll expand on that a little bit. The treasurer should not be a voting member on the finance committee, period. Um, the treasurer should be independent in that standpoint and provide information and no reason why they can't be in on the 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 sessions but just not a voting member um, as far as 
the treasurer and the personnel committee? Absolutely not. I mean, they shouldn't be husband-wife, mother-daughter. Um, I hope everybody here has a personnel committee um, because that should not fall on the pastor. Um, pastor shouldn't have anything to do with that. Um, Other than if they're staff, making sure that exactly they answer to the pastor. That doing but well, this person served well to uh, tell the personnel committee that he shouldn't be. No, absolutely. The pastor shouldn't be in control of anything. Um, he's a leader, okay? And he should not have any signing authority, any say, or anything on the finances other than leading and recommending. There's a big difference. A big difference. Um, I've had where pastors are full control and they're on every single committee and they're a voting member on every single committee and they're, if he's in there, he is chairman of that committee. No, absolutely not. He should not be a voting member of any committee, really, in my viewpoint. Um, even the deacons, I mean, he's there to recommend and lead, not to... Now, that doesn't mean you should go against him. <laughs> but, you know, he is the CEO of the company, though. In the eyes of the IRS, mm-hmm. so the sole correct. Mm-hmm. So you have to take that in consideration. He's sort of like the um, he answers to the board. He answers to the church. Okay, the church doesn't answer to him. All right. Would you recommend that, that I think it come to any of the committees that he wants to? But when it comes to the voting time, a lot of times we not to be in there while we're voting because some people feel uncomfortable if they feel like they want to vote against what is. That's voting. wise, but if the I have to say, if the pastor is leading appropriately, it won't matter if he's in there or not. Everything should be open and on, on the table anyway. I know that's not reality sometimes, and it's sometimes it's wise to ask him to leave, but like with his compensation. Finance committee should be deciding on his compensation. He should not be in the room when they're making that decision. Um, But that's not for them, that's for him because it could feel, you know, bad feelings. Um, But no, in, in like personnel committee meetings and stuff like that, why shouldn't the pastor be there? But he shouldn't be a voting member, in my viewpoint. Best practice. Best practice. You want to say something. Yes, you do. Because part of my CFI is when people, that means they're holding back. Speak up. It's different polity in other in all the Baptist churches. So in Southern Baptist life, I mean, I'm not trying to speak on your behalf, but a lot of times... What your church polity is, we don't we don't tell them that they can't do it. It's best practice. We can give suggestions, but sometimes best practice doesn't play out in certain rural or urban settings. Depends on what it is. So it can, it can go differently, but and it's very common in the Southern Baptist for the pastor to be controlled. A lot in the independent, yeah. Mm-hmm. Some some of our Southern Baptists, but a lot mm-hmm. of the independents are. In the rural, because oh, independents are heavy. The, the pastor makes all decisions. Yeah. So you don't write a check without the pastor's permission. I actually have a Lutheran church that is a client of mine, and although he says he doesn't have control over things, it's very clear mm-hmm. he has full control. Mm-hmm. Very clear. Um. We can can bless it and finish I don't know how your other one is but we can bless the food and let them get a that sounds good get a, okay. let's go right ahead say if, you're, if you said you were almost through I didn't know if you I'm done okay. what time is it it's 11.50 but they, oh, they I'm, said I'm the done. lunch would start being ready at 11.45 so you're not going to be too early <laughs> is there any other questions and, and Kimberly will be in the next session so you'll, she'll carry it further but if you've got questions that you think of at lunch or whatever she'll be here for the next session. Um, one thing in First Baptist Pooler in September, September 17th, we're going to have a conference.
that's financial on one side, legal and protection. If you have if you have uh, people for concealed carry and stuff, we're going to have an expert there that's going to do that training. I'm only going to do financial, so I won't I won't even go in the room. But there's going to be a guy from Alliance for Defending Freedom and from uh, Georgia Baptist who does security. He's actually ex-military who does security for churches. What date is that? September 17th. It's a Tuesday. It's a Tuesday night at 6 p.m. You need to go on our website and sign up. Will we be getting a notification of that? You should get an email at your church, but it it depends on if your church has updated who's... So it goes to the treasury. It should have went out this week because we didn't want to advertise in front of Go. Uh, We didn't want people not to be aware uh, and and think, oh, that's something else, so now we're not going to this. This is different. And so... um, the, the one guy that's an expert on security training, uh, he helps he helps set up security at, at all the churches that, that invite him. So he will actually visit your church if you request it and give you some recommendations and talk about what who can and can't carry. Because we think just because somebody has a concealed carry, if the church makes the determination, you don't have to have people carrying on your church premises. I, that's about as far as I go with the legal part, okay? I'm a CPA. I don't talk tax and stuff. But you can bring two or three people and they can go in different conferences, or you can go part of the time in one conference and part of the time in the other. Whatever you want to do, uh, there will be snacks and food there. That's why there's a cause. Uh, so I encourage you to look out there. And if you can't find it, if you don't get the email, if you'll email me, I'll send you the, the link. Um, so at First Baptist Pooler. So it would be security and financial piece. Mm-hmm. And legal. The security guy's going to talk for a little over an hour, and then the legal guy from Alliance for Defending Freedom will be there to talk about the legal issues with your church. So um, if you don't get it, email me. I'll feel, feel free to email me if you don't get the email. Because a lot of churches, if they haven't updated who's supposed to get emails, it may be going to an old email from somebody that used to do your job. Uh, so let me know, and I'll, I'll be glad to get it. Let's pray so you can you can get in the lunch line. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for these people who have sacrificed their time on Saturday morning to come out and, and learn about how to protect the assets that are, are given for your kingdom and how to best utilize them. And Dear Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for their churches. Bless them and their churches. And uh, Dear Lord, just bring revival to our, our cities and nation. Uh, bless this food and the hands prepared it, dear Lord, and help us to be a light unto you in all we do. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen.